Welcome to the Secure Edge Wi-Fi podcast. In today's episode, we have host Sky Jandu, customer success manager and enterprise sales executive, speaking with her colleague, VP of engineering at Secure Edge Wi-Fi, Michael McNamee. We hope that you find today's conversation both helpful and informative. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Secure Edge podcast. My name is Sky, and I'm here with our VP of Engineering, Michael McNamee. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Going well. <laughs> if you've been keeping up with our episodes, we've been talking about the return to campus for students and faculty and staff in the higher education space. And we've also been talking about reinvented environments is probably the best way to say it. So outdoor classroom spaces, what that looks like, how the interior spaces have changed. So we've done a lot of talking in regards to student safety, campus safety, especially from a technology perspective. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk specifically about dorms. That's an interesting topic. It is. And so just to kind of recap us in regards to some of the things that we've been talking about when it comes to school safety or student safety, uh, some of the topics that we talked about in the previous episodes were contact tracing, sanitation stations. So we've talked about setting up stations across campus that have sanitizer and masks and thermal readers or temperature checks and all that. Um, We've also talked about infrared cameras, renovated spaces, classroom spaces, et cetera. And so what we want to do today is talk specifically again about dorms and residence life facilities. Some people call them residence halls. They have lots of names. So why are these important? And I'm actually going to take that. As a student, if I'm looking to gain independence from my parents, like get me out of the house, one of the things that I would be looking for is to live on campus at college, right? And when you live on campus at college, again, you get that sense of independence. You get that space from your family that you might need. And you get the opportunity to really build community and friendships. And so when we think about residence halls, residence life facilities, dorms, some of those things we have to think about as far as, you know, student experience is concerned, because all of those come into play. From a residence hall perspective, can you tell us a little bit about our history at Secure Edge when it comes to those types of facilities? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, our experience comes from our cutting our teeth, really. Some of the biggest deployments that we did in the earliest histories of the company were in uh, colleges and universities. Kind of a perfect test bed or a hotbed for the technology, right? Because who better to put the technology through its spaces than students? In those environments, they're all very different. Everything from, you know, 150 plus year old historical institutions to fairly, you know, Uh, World War II, 60s era organizations, and the facilities differ widely. You know, some of the older historic campuses, some of the the residence halls, the dorms are actually old homes that have been repurposed for student life. And so you go into those facilities and could still be a a wood and and, uh, lath and plaster walls. Some of them have got chicken wire that was used to hold the plaster in place on the lath walls. And, you know, if you know anything about RF and electricity, the the, the chicken wire is basically a mesh cage. It's a Faraday cage. So uh, you have some really challenging environments for Wi-Fi, you know, and then you go through like the World War II era, 60s era um, kind of cinder block, concrete blockade dorms. And again, a, a different environment, different impact on how Wi-Fi works. You know, they're, they're the typical long hallway 
you know, with the, the rooms off of it. You might have a shared bathroom way down the hallway, two students per room, metal doors. Definitely has an impact on, on how Wi-Fi works. And then you go up to more modern day facilities where they're more like uh, apartment buildings. You know, you've got three or four bedrooms, a shared kitchen, you know, one bath. You know, you don't have 60 people sharing a bathroom anymore. It's three or four students, you mm-hmm. know, in a suite or an apartment. And they're they're built more like an apartment building. You know, they're maybe wood floors, maybe concrete slab, drywall walls, wood construction. So a completely different behavior and impact on the Wi-Fi. So the differences there, you know, impact how we design or dictate how we design Wi-Fi for that environment. And now they're talking about changing up the methodology around dorm and residence hall design again. That's right. You know, compartmentalizing even more, you know, where you're not going to have two students in a room. You're going to have a, a single room for a student and maybe it's only three you know, at max or maybe two at max mm-hmm. sharing a bathroom and a kitchen space or, or whatnot. So again, you know, you're, you're compartmentalizing and, and cutting up that space. So it, it has a lot of impact to, to how we design. You can't simply take, you know, the way that it was done for this building and replicate it over here. You know, maybe one building, if you work the math, it might be an AP every 3,000 square feet. Whereas this building, because of how it's compartmentalized and split up so much, now it's maybe one AP every 15,000 square feet. Right. You just don't know until you actually get into the design point of it and, and really look at it. Right. So let's talk about traditionally what we've seen specifically across the United States. So historical campuses, Mm -hmm. to your point, have very old buildings. I think some of our clients call them big tanks. Like they've been there for a long time. They're made out of concrete. Really, any signal that's inside of the building is not going to escape. That's just it. So you have some of these uh, campuses, again, that have these really historic old facilities on campus and the design is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing is, is that over the years, it's really important to keep up with the design from a construction perspective of these facilities, because what was 100 years ago changed, you know, 10 years later, Mm -hmm. maybe 30 years later, maybe another 10 years later. So as construction evolves, technology is evolving as well. And I don't know that I've necessarily put that into perspective, even just having this conversation with you. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it gets it definitely gets overlooked. I mean, we get pulled in multiple times to to look and assess, um, even diagnose issues. You know, uh, for an organization, campus or college, university campus, and um, when you get right down to it, it, it falls back to the design process. It wasn't looked at they tried to replicate what they did in one building into another building and they were not the same it wasn't apples to apples right and so when you really get down to it you diagnose the issue it it falls back on the design was missed you know and these variables weren't taken into account and how it would impact Okay. And that's one of the things that we see quite often is that there generally, if there's a Wi-Fi issue, we can tie that back to a possible design issue in many cases. Right. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about what we've seen now or what we've heard. So construction, as we just stated, constantly involves, Mm -hmm. but now that we're in a pandemic, that is definitely changing. Mm -hmm. And what we're hearing is that what was traditionally um, dorms that had many students in one dorm, say three or four, now we're thinking about single units mm-hmm. for students. 
So when you're looking at single sleeping units, how does that impact the design versus you know having multiple students in a single room with maybe sectioned off doors? So from a design perspective, when we're looking at you know just simply from an RF coverage, getting the signal to where the user is with their device, yes, that's going to have an impact because now you've got more walls, more doors, everything is cut up and more compartmentalized. It's going to have an impact on the Wi-Fi, so we have to accommodate for that. Um, other than that, you're not really increasing student count or densities. Um, but what I do think we need to, to think about and take into account is the loads. How much traffic, how much throughput is really being utilized or loaded onto the system in our device counts going up. And I think those are some things that we need to be considering in the design process. Right. And you bring up device count. So what has been our history as far as how many <laughs> how many devices there are per students in the higher ed space, specifically residence halls and dorms? So when I started doing this, you know, 15 plus years ago, um, students had one device. It was a laptop. You know, and back then laptops had basically an Ethernet adapter on it, sometimes Wi-Fi, you know. Um, it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. Um, so you had two ports, and the way we always refer to it is it's a port per pillow. So you had two students in a dorm room. You'd have a, a wall plate with two physical Ethernet jacks connected, patched back to a switch to give them network and Internet a access. And then Wi-Fi came around, and so the laptop was their sole device that they used for everything. Work, you know, study, you know, entertainment, whatnot. Then you had the explosion of the phones and the, and the, the small devices, the mobile devices like tablets. And so that took off. So then you're seeing generally, right about then it was like two and a half to three devices per student. You know, student had a laptop. They might have had a tablet. They had a cell phone which was Wi-Fi enabled. Now, I mean, it's it's through the roof. Now they started bringing Wi-Fi enabled printers, you know, Apple TVs that wanted to be on the Wi-Fi, their game consoles, their Xboxes, you know, Nintendo Switch, whatever. Um, we've seen some crazy stuff like Wi-Fi enabled light bulbs, you know, that mm -hmm. you can control with your voice or it um, mates up with a, a, an automation platform like an Amazon Alexa or... Uh, the Google Home or Home Apple's HomeKit or whatever it is, um, the IoT explosion is, has been crazy, um, and the challenges there are not that they they put so much load on, but they have specific requirements, right? Um, because they were made for the home environment, and you bring them into a shared, common networking environment like a dorm or a residence hall, um, and there's a whole plethora of um, implications there on how those things are supposed to work um, because the students are expecting a, an at-home experience. You know, I can just plug this in at, at home and it, it goes through all these things and it just works. Well, the, the home network is completely different, you know, very s low complexity compared to an enterprise campus grade network that's built for, you know, not only performance, but also security. And so all those things have to be you know, considered in there as well. So those are some of the things that we need to consider is I think as a result of what we're going through, um, 
with the pandemic and how things are changing on campus for students, I think there's going to be some anxiety, some fear, you know, um, and I think students will turn to technology just knowing these, you know, this generation to kind of self-soothe, you know, mm-hmm. to calm some of their, their anxieties. They, they want to retreat back to their dorm because this is their home now, you know, they're home away from home and they want to retreat and, you know, calm themselves. And however they do that, whether it's watching movies on Netflix, playing video games, you know, listening to music, I think those things are going to have ramifications of how much load and how much utilization mm-hmm. we have on the network. You That's know, we, right. we, we hear stories all the time, you know, even some of the service providers like, you know, Comcast and Charter and Spectrum, you know, it's like, hey, up your bandwidth because now you're using more than <laughs> ever, right? That's right. Because you've got two or three kids at home that are doing learn learning online. I think our Charlotte Mecklenburg schools announced yesterday that they're going all virtual. Yep. I, I have a good confirm that but i think they're going to plan c which is no in-person classes everything's going to be virtual so if you got one two three kids at home they're using the the, the broadband internet and then if you got two parents that work from home they're using it too so right. it's not like it was before where you've got these peak times a day where it's being used you're gonna have this maintained consistency of consumption from the time school and work starts till, you know, late into the evenings, you know, because people are then switching from work and school educational to more entertainment and, you know, um, other things. And that's a good point because in dorms, it's a very much a mixed use environment where you are doing a combination of your academic work Mm -hmm. and taking classes online along with having more of that social aspect of using things like Facebook and Instagram applications to doing things like gaming and video streaming and doing all that jazz. So it's a very much a mixed use environment in the dorms. And to your point, the student experience is extremely important, even more so now than ever before, in my personal opinion. And when you talk about student experience, you are correct students expect that at-home experience while they're on campus. I think every CIO I've ever talked to agrees with that statement. Mm-hmm. And so when you have such high expectations, then you have to you know, think about you know, how can you create the best student experience or the best student environment in a dorm um, or residence hall facility. Um, so those are some really, really great points. So when it comes to single sleeping units that we discussed and kind of the changes that are evolving in the construction space for higher education clients across the US, we're thinking about things like Wi-Fi design. Um, Now maybe we're adding more access points in some environments, depending on the construction materials to accommodate students. And then we're also looking at things differently from a support perspective as well, because there's more devices that are being onboarded Um, possibly more bandwidth utilization to a degree. Yeah, I think that's that's a big consideration is, you know, is there enough bandwidth to that facility? If it's a single, you know, dorm or residence hall, you know, is the back hall connecting it to the rest of the campus sufficient enough? When I first started doing this, you know, the links were a couple of hundred megabits and then they upped them to gig, you know, some are 10 gig, some maybe are not. So is, is a gig sufficient enough? Because, right. you know, to your point, And what I brought up before is 
I think we need to take into consideration the loads. You know, over the years of doing this and seeing multiple traffic studies from different organizations, different campuses, in how bandwidth is utilized throughout the day, um, you know, there was there was techniques of shifting uh, bandwidth utilization from the dorms and residence halls because the, the bandwidth on campus is generally shared, right? They might have a couple of pipes coming in and you know, they're, they're sectioning off some bandwidth for student life, some for campus life, you know, academia, some for athletics, some for guests, you know, visitors, those kinds of things. And when you did traffic studies, you would see like the traffic in the, the dorms and the residence hall, the student life areas, the living areas would, would drop off during the, the day from, you know, seven or eight in the morning mm-hmm. till, you know, five or six at night. And then the campus would sometimes have bandwidth uh, contracts or restrictions so that when everybody had shifted over to the academic side, there was enough bandwidth to handle all of that traffic through the day in those facilities. And so at a certain point at night, they would shut the, they would turn off those contracts, those, those throttles and allow the dorms and the residence halls to have everything that was available to them. And you would see these graphs, these charts where the, the traffic would just spike and it would hit, you know, at a peak and it would maintain that peak until, I don't know, 12, 1 a.m. in the morning. And it would start to taper off and you'd see these, you know, stragglers <laughs> at two and three o'clock in the morning, you know, and then finally they would get their three hours of sleep before they had to go back <laughs> that makes sense. to class or whatever. <laughs> so, my point is, I think I think you're going to see a, a much higher sustained uh, level of utilization throughout the day. It's not going to be like what it was before. And again, you know, to your point, the the bandwidth utilization. I think those are some of the things that have to be included in the assessment when you're doing the designing and you know even the, the augmentation or supplementation. If we're going to be adding more access points, you right. know that's to handle additional devices that the students are using in the dorms and the residence halls. So what impact does that have onto, onto the bandwidth? Okay. So in the dorm environment, we're really looking at some uh, design changes, possibly we're looking at adding infrastructure. We're having to accommodate uh, more devices. So IOT devices, more applications, From an application standpoint, one of the things that we talk about is making sure that we monitor those applications. So now that they're being used more often, Mm -hmm. um, we should really put some more focus on actually monitoring those systems, right? Mm -hmm. Testing them. So tell tell me a little bit more about what we do from the application performance standpoint. So um, on the application performance perspective or topic, um, we believe it's really critical to get that other side of the equation. Historically, we've always had the perspective from the infrastructure, you know, the core, the the distribution layers, the the edge, the access points, um, the switching. We see how much traffic is coming through. Um, we see, you know, switch ports up down, you know, devices connected, APs up down, you know, users devices connected, how much bandwidth that they're utiliza- utilizing what kind of applications, you know, all, all the metrics and the health about the system, but we've never had the other side of it. What is that laptop? What is that phone or tablet? What is the end user experience? How are those applications working from the network side? Um, and so that's where we believe in a, in a platform to continually test that. 
go through the machinations that a device does and behaves, you know, with connecting to the network, trying to access an application, testing all the backend services like DHCP and DNS, because when people get calls that Wi-Fi is down or it's not working, typically, in my experience, it's it's not that it never happens, but typically when you get down to the root cause of the problem, it's something else other than the Wi-Fi. Right. Wi-Fi is up, but something on the backside is not supporting them, but they don't know that, right? They can't get an IP address or they're not resolving DNS. DNS is failing or the ISP is down, but they don't know that. They just know that they're connected to Wi-Fi and they can't get out to the internet to watch Netflix or, you know, access this application. So, you know, the Wi-Fi is bad. Right. So from a performance monitoring and, and testing standpoint, going through all that stuff and getting some proactive feedback on how it's actually performing. And if something's failing, what is it that's failing? Right. Cause now you're, you're getting down to, okay, I know it's not working, but what piece of it isn't working and having something that gives you that feedback and tells you exactly where to focus your attention to get to a, a resolution much faster is really critical to that end user experience. Right. So just to do a quick recap, we are expecting to see some design changes, mm-hmm. right? We're also expecting to see some support changes. So the number of support tickets that an institution might see is going to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, again, IoT devices and application changes. And to your point, it's really important that we have a system in place that can help us provide a better layer of support to our students to thus give them a better student experience. Yeah, because think, think about how, how things are going to change for them if they're going to be doing more academia in their their living space, right? They're not going, I, we don't know this yet because we haven't experienced it. We haven't gotten the feedback or mm-hmm. the reports back from the environments. But I'm assuming, I'm expecting that, you know, everybody's different, but the life in the library might not be the same today as it was before, you know? Um, they may be doing more studying in their dorm rooms they're in the residence halls they're going to be taking online classes well they're not going to go to a classroom to take an online class they're going to be doing that in their dorm room. that's right you know and and the applications are going to change a little bit um if this curriculum these online courses are being delivered over a medium like a a teams or a zoom or I, i don't know what the platforms are out there that that deliver that content but now you're talking voice and video you know, if it's a participatory thing where, you know, they can actually raise their hand in the application and the teacher calls mm-hmm. on them and they respond. So now we're having to support, you know, enterprise grade voice and video applications, video conferencing, you know, just like we do in, in office spaces or in enterprise environments, because these applications, you know, voice and video are probably two of the more demanding applications on Wi-Fi, on networking. All right. And so we've got to build the infrastructure. We got to make sure that it's a, it can accommodate those things and they can run optimally. Right. So there is quite a bit that we have to consider when it comes to the student experience in dorms. And we've really just named off quite a few things that I even hadn't 
anticipated as far as, you know, bandwidth utilization, as we discussed, again, IoT applications. And to your point, video calling, streaming, whether that be with family and friends or through, you know, academic tools for yeah. classes. So that's all a really good um, point that you made. And then on top of that, you had mentioned before gaming and the whole social aspect of things. So all in all, we're seeing more students within their dorms in confined spaces, really uh, looking to technology to help really socialize and maintain relationships and also, you know, work towards a degree to some to some sort, whatever it is that they're looking to Hopefully do. Hopefully that's the priority. Right, right. I, I just... I can't imagine being confined to my dorm every single day on campus for a whole semester. So I'm really interested to see how all this pans out over the next few months um, and really pick up this conversation again um, just to see how things have changed and what we're actually seeing out in the field. So yeah, well, that would be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to be taking notes this fall. Yeah, definitely. So one of the other types of facilities that we haven't addressed outside of the dorms and residence halls are the student unions in the recreational areas, right? So mm. these are areas that I know as a student I loved because they basically gave us these safe spaces to meet up with our friends and engage in social activities and go to the gym and do all the things that we love to do, right? So when we think about going back to school and we think about you know, the, the safe return to school, um, those particular facilities are also going to have to have their own measures for safety, right? Yeah. Um, specifically, you know, you have state and local guidelines and standards as far as, you know, the number of people that can be in an area, how far apart they are, how often you're cleaning and disinfecting things. So there's a lot of things to keep up with. And then we have to think about, okay, if we're going to let a certain number of people into a facility at one time, how many people can come in? How long are they able to stay there? Mm. Should we have uh, times blocked off to actually disinfect, right? There's just a lot of things to consider. And what you had mentioned earlier is we're all kind of new to this. I don't think anybody really knows exactly what to do. So we're all kind of picking the best thing that comes to mind and trying to implement it, right? Yeah. Um, but when we think of disinfecting, and these types of environments, some of the things that I've seen have been uh, relating to IoT, for example. So I have seen some um, innovations from a smart building perspective when it comes to creating IoT devices that have things like UV lighting, for example, um, with automated disinfecting tools to some degree. It all sounds grand. Yeah. <laughs> but as we you know, move more into this you know, safe pandemic related environment that we're having to prepare and plan for. Um, and we think about some of these IoT devices that are being uh, brought into these environments. How does that affect, you know, the Wi-Fi and the technologies in the space? Yeah, so it's kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, saddening a little bit because the the student unions, the student centers are kind of like the hub of campus. Everybody kind of like right. crisscrosses <laughs> through them and everything kind of happens there. And, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got some pictures from a friend. I think they posted on Facebook of the, the school that I went to, graduated from, and they showed the student union and like the conversation pits were torn out and a lot of the couches and the bean bags and that stuff is all gone. You know, it's just like a, it's a wide open naked space now. 
you know, so they're trying to deter that that cloistering and the clustering and and, and uh, loitering in those areas, which they tried to foster before. So it's kind of kind of sad. But um, what I think what's going to happen, um, you're not going to be able to, to keep everybody out of those spaces, right? Right. And so they're going to have to attend to them. They're going to have to to uh, sanitize them and, and clean them. And so having like the contact tracing is a perfect example of understanding. Um, some presence analytics about that space, you know, how many people have been there, how long have they dwelled, you know, how, how deep clean do we have to get this, this area? <laughs> right. And then you bring up some other things, you know, on the technology side, um, you know, we've seen robots sanitizing, you know, disinfecting robots that have UV lights, specifically like in the healthcare and in, in the hospital, the patient rooms, mm, you know, they, they go in, they close the door, this thing sits in there for 15, 20 minutes, it runs the UV light. We've even seen them that they have, you know, a fogging disinfectant to them that, you know, wow. fills, fills okay. the room or whatever. <laughs> um, but those things aren't going to run on their own. They're not standalone. They're not isolated. They're most likely going to be on the Wi-Fi from my understanding. Um, so now you're talking about adding in something additional to the Wi-Fi that maybe hadn't been planned on before. I don't know if these things, you know, work like other devices that use telemetry to triangulate where they are, Mm -hmm. you know, as to navigate, you know, around the facility. I know just in a simple level, like a Roomba, right. It, it, it measures out and maps out your, your home and you can put these fences that are, I don't know if they use RFID or Bluetooth or whatever they do to keep them out of certain areas. But these robots are going to have to be guided. They're going to have to use something to wayfind their way through these facilities. And my expectation is it's going to be something like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, which is readily available. But again, to the point, if the system wasn't designed to support and facilitate that application, it's you're going to have to augment it. You're going to have to supplement it. You're going to have to make some changes. So it goes back again into the design process, which is always iterative, right? I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been with this company for 15. Everything that we build on day one is not the same as it is, you know, day 4,000. Right. It, it changes over time because the devices change, the applications change, the environments are changing, as mm-hmm. we're pointing out here. You know, even the user user use cases change. Um, and so you, these changes happen. You have to refer back to the design process. You make your, your adjustments and your tweaks, your tuning, and then you move forward. And then something else down the road, three, four years later happens, and you go back to the design process again. But if you skip that step, none of it's going to work. So let me ask you a question then. When it comes to designs, how often should we revisit them? Would be my question. My feeling is if, if you're making major additions, you're introducing new applications, new types of devices or technologies, I think you should go back to the design process and make sure that the design was accommodating to that. Um, or if you're going to new technologies, like, you know, we go back to the, the ABG days uh, when we started the company. And then we transitioned to N. N had a uh, very different methodology around the design process. We didn't realize that at the time, and we learned through mistakes and experience. Um, but what came out of it was, hey, we, there's a mind shift around the design process. 
because not only has the technology changed, but at the same time, devices were changing. We were transitioning from laptops over to phones and tablet types of type devices. Right. So many times you're introducing new technology or changing generational technology or the devices and the applications are changing. I think the design process has to be referred back to. Okay. So there's a lot of things to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot that's, of, that's why we have a job. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of this are things that we necessarily, we haven't necessarily thought of, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's kind of scrambling right now. And I think there's just so much to consider. We don't know what we don't know. Right. There's just so much to consider that maybe things have been forgotten that we really should be talking about. And to your point, I think designs are one of those things. Uh, You had mentioned that we should revisit those things, you know, really during times of change. And this really is a time of change. So that would be, I guess, one of our recommendations is, you know, now that we're looking at fine tuning some of these environments, um, enhancing the student experience, now that we have students that are staying within their dorms for longer periods of time, or um, now that we're having to change the way we operate our student unions and recreational centers, we should really look at making sure we have the proper design in place to support you know, these devices and the, to support student experience, for example, across campus. Um, one of the things that you also mentioned was contact tracing. And contact tracing is something that we can use in the dorms and also in these student um, union areas and recreational areas. So in a dorm environment, I would imagine contact tracing might work a little differently just because we're looking at students in a living environment versus in a recreational center or student union. Maybe it's more spread out. Um, I don't know what the differences would be from a triangulation perspective in each of these environments, but could you shed a little bit of light as far as contact tracing in these particular spaces is concerned? Yeah, I think in the, the residence hall and the dorms, you know, I think contact tracing is still viable. But I don't think you're going to have that that kind of movement. You might, you know, you, if if the practice or protocol is for students to stay in their dorms and not go to somebody else's suite or apartment or room or whatever, um, how do you how do you enforce that? Right. Um, so if somebody reports that they're COVID positive and they tested for the virus and you use the contact tracing solution to track where they've been throughout campus, it's going to expose, you know, the fluidity of how they've moved through campus. And you're going to be able to focus on how long they've been, they've been, they've dwelled or the duration time in those areas so that if they came into contact with somebody or they were in somebody else's room, now you can notify that they, these people have come into contact with somebody that was tested positive they're going to want to go get tested themselves to find out. And therefore you're, you're, you're trying to spread the, or eliminate the spread or control the spread. Right. Right. Um, the, um, in the recreational areas, um, don't know yet. Um, you know, I've seen some stuff, like I think I alluded to or talked about in, in one of the former uh, podcasts, the uh, Carolina Panthers were going back to training camp. Rookies were showing up and some of the methods that they were using for, doing contact tracing and tracking things was to assign to a user an RFID tag or some sort of, um, uh, not an asset tag, but um, a tracing tag Mm -hmm. so they could track where they've been throughout the facility. So again, 
if they go back in time and somebody's tested positive and you need to find out where they've been or who they've come into contact with, they have a means to track them because an athlete's not going to be carrying around a phone or a laptop or a tablet on their person as they're utilizing the facilities. I, I don't know what the the protocol is or what the practice is going to be for higher ed colleges and universities returning to sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that they're going to utilize some of the same methodologies that the pro teams are using. Um, but I think the same technology applies there, you know, leveraging something to facilitate the contact tracing so that, you know, what areas of the facilities you need to deep clean or, you know, if somebody's tested positive, how do you go about finding who they've been in proximity or contact with to let them know that they need to go get tested? Right. You know, I think I heard some of the pro teams are saying if X number of players test, over a period of time, their practice is going to be to, to shut down. I would think college teams are going to do the same things. Right. You would think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So all in all, we've talked about a lot of different environments. We've talked about, um, you know, a lot of things to consider when we think about students safely returning to school, especially in the dorm environment and especially in some of these um, more utilized spaces like student unions and recreational facilities. So what I want to do now is just talk about how we can help. So one of the things that we talked about is contact tracing, right? So in order to make sure that that's deployed correctly, we want to make sure that um, a company like SecureEdge comes out and does an assessment, right, to make sure you have the proper triangulation and things of that nature in place. We've also talked about uh, revisiting your design, something else we can help with. So you know, now that we're looking at implementing a number of different changes and now that we're looking at students utilizing our environments in a different way and our applications in a different way, we should really do our due diligence to say, okay, the environment's changing, we need to do a design and make sure we can support them the best way that we can. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, um, in the event that someone does want to utilize contact tracing but maybe doesn't have the appropriate infrastructure, we want to look at seeing how we can get the right infrastructure in there, right, to accommodate some of those things. Yes. Um, is there anything else? I think we talked about as well support, right? So things change from a support perspective. So, you know, um, we can help to a degree from that perspective as well. So we can really help with it all. So anytime someone has a change to their environment, especially from a technology perspective, really we can help across the board. Yeah, most right? of the customers that I, that I know, the student living environment is the squeaky wheel. <laughs> it's the one that uh, tends to generate the, the most um, concerns. Um, and, and I think that's just going to be elevated now in this current environment. Right. You know, I think... Um, there's going to be a level of anxiety there. There's going to be a level of displeasure, you know, unfortunately. And I think if Wi-Fi is not working, it's, it's going to be a point of contention. And it's just going to be that little piece that aggravates them even more. And so to your point on the support side of things, we would anticipate there's going to be more reports, tickets, cases, those kinds right. of things. 
Right. And then I, on top of that, we feel that it's important to have the right performance monitoring tools in place as well. And that, I think, goes hand in hand with support. You're a good salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> so all in all, we're looking at making sure you have the right design in place, making sure if you have the ability to utilize contact tracing that you do do that, uh, making sure that we have performance monitoring tools in place to thus the support efforts. Exactly. In closing, for more information, go to www.secureedgewifi.com. That is Secure Edge was one E. For more information and content on dormitories and safe space, essentially the safe return to schools this fall semester. Thank you so much for your time. We'll talk to you soon. That concludes this episode of the Secure Edge Wi-Fi podcast. Thank you for listening today, and we hope to see you again soon. Take care. <laughs>